Support for Waveform comes from Anthropic. So looking for an AI solution for a business, it might be time to check out the Claude 3 family from Anthropic, your one-stop shop for enterprise AI. So whether you're powering a customer chat experience or doing complex R&D or need advanced analysis, Anthropic can help provide you with frontier intelligence. So if you're looking for speed, power, or anything in between, the Claude 3 family offers AI models for a variety of tasks and budgets. Join the thousands of enterprises who use Anthropic to navigate this new frontier. Visit anthropic.com slash Claude, C-L-A-U-D-E today. Jumpstart your genius with Claude 3 by Anthropic. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. What's up, everybody? I'm David Mel, and welcome to Waveform. Have you ever wanted a domain, and then you were in Virginia, and then you were in a small cage with iris scanners and lots of strange people? Me neither, until about a month ago. Stick around, because I'm about to tell you what the heck I'm talking about. All right, boys, let's buckle up. Let's do this. So I'm gonna tell you a story, and it's a little weird, and a little wild, and a little cheesy. It's an entirely true story. Correct. Okay. Yes. Okay. So, a few months ago, I think this is around June, so uh, this podcast has been a long time coming. I was in Seattle, hanging out with some friends. I think I went there to visit friends I from college I haven't seen in a very long time. And we were just chilling at one of their, their houses, mm-hmm. and we wanted to order a pizza, okay? Because there were a bunch of us, and it was like, makes sense to have a pizza for everybody, right? So... Every now and then, I go and I look up all of the potential websites that you can own, all the top-level domains that you can own, just for fun. <laughs> okay. There are many. Sorry, I was thinking about the pizza. All right. Yeah. No. Yes. It's okay. Reasonable. We'll get there. I think we're reasonable here. <laughs> yeah. I see no flaws. Yeah. We'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. So, do you guys know what a top-level domain is? So, that would be like the .com or the .org or the .gov part of URL? Yeah. Um. And there's a bunch more that I don't, you know, pay attention to or keep track of. But yeah. the most common ones being country. Mm-hmm. Dot us. Yeah. Dot ca. There. Wow. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Trivia. Turns out there are many, 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 many top level domains. I believe that. There's a list of top level domains that you can go look at anytime you want. Mm-hmm. Um, and I every few months kind of just read them for fun because I mm-hmm. I really want <laughs> I really just want to see the domains right. Mm-hmm. So I remember. <clears throat> that there uh, is a dot pizza among other things, right? Because there's like dot lawyer, dot fun, dot joy, dot monster, dot condos, dot cool, dot dance, dot dating, dot deal, dot deals, international, dot, dot investments, dot Irish, dot jewelry, dot jobs, dot joy, dot, dot vacations, life. dot ventures, dot villas, dot vin, dot Volvo, dot voting, dot voyage, all of this random stuff. Dot monster. <clears throat> dot monster. That's yes. awesome. But there's so. also a dot pizza. So in my head, I'm like, we want a pizza. There's a dot pizza. You, you should be able to go to pizza.pizza, right? Like, if you go to pizza.pizza, I would assume that, like, 
Papa John's or Domino's probably owns pizza.pizza. You can tell you're not from the tri-state area. Yeah. Why? Papa John's or Papa John's. Oh, sorry, those, sorry, sorry. Yeah, is that from there the needs West to be Coast? some elitism here if we're from New Jersey. Yeah, those are both awful, awful pizza places. Oh, totally. Absolutely. But in Seattle, that's probably the standard pizza. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, wow. Papa John's is the most popular pizza chain in the U.S., right? Okay, that's fair. Fact check mm-hmm. that. I, <laughs> yeah. I think that was the fact check. I ordered a uh, Papa John's pizza while I had COVID, and this thing was so unbelievably dense. Oh my god! I like could not believe this pizza. It was like ridiculous. Better it, ingredients. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Better ingredients. Pizza would be the best domain for Papa for, John's. Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah. there are many there are many options that you could have here, but I just wanted to go to pizza.pizza because I thought it was the dumbest one. Naturally. Okay. Right. Because you could you could have like I want to order a dot pizza or I need a dot pizza, but pizza.pizza funnier so i try to go to pizza.pizza and it doesn't resolve right it's like not found and i'm like "Mm, mm, you know what i do when i have good domain ideas you're one of those (laughs) oh yeah you're one of those oh yeah (laughs) how many domains do you have david uh i haven't counted in a while how many digits of domains do you have i think in the two digits okay that's all right which could go up to 99 yeah yep yeah it's 97 but (laughs) yeah so you bought yeah, when I have good domain ideas, I try to I try to buy them, right? Mm. Speaking um, of which, Ellis just looked up betteringredients.pizza and it's currently available for 14.99 a month. That's not bad. Yeah. Mm. But betteringredientsbetter.pizza is unavailable. Ah, oh. Weird. That's funny. Okay, so yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's only usually like $12 a year, so I try to buy them. Um, I have a lot of domains. I own such selections as bangersonly.net which just takes you to a Spotify radio playlist of Semi-Tired Life by Third Eye Blind. Nice, nice. Because okay. imagine you're at a party, right? And someone's like, oh, I don't know what to play on the radio. And you just go, just go to bangersonly.net. <laughs> and it's only it's only bangers. Dude. It only, yeah, Every single you're one. not wrong. During COVID, I bought, I bought outmywindow.app and I just made it so if you went there, it would just rotate through really pretty scenes of out windows because people were trapped in their apartments. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I also have bought two domains that got me sued by Lego Corporation. So we probably don't have to go into that part. <laughs> okay. But uh, here's to say I like buying domains. <clears throat> so I tried to buy pizza.pizza. Uh-huh. Uh, and it looked like somebody already owned it. Like it wasn't available. Oh. And I was like, hmm, why would someone sit on pizza.pizza in the domain space? This is called parking. Someone's parking on pizza.pizza. So, but what you can do is when someone owns a domain, you can do what's called a who is lookup on a domain. So effectively, you are looking up like the person that owns it, when they bought it, how much they bought it for, all of this stuff. Just I was just curious, right? So I do a who is lookup on pizza.pizza and I start to get pretty confused. There's a lot of information here, but I started seeing all of these names pop up over and over again. There was Donuts Inc. There was ICANN, but Donuts Inc. started popping up a lot more. So I did some research on Donuts Inc. and I looked them up, and they're they're like massive. They're like a multi-billion-dollar corporation, and all they do is own top-level domains. This is Donuts, like <clears throat> the pastry. Yes. Inc. Okay, I just want to make sure. Beyond the irony, yeah, exactly. Uh, beyond yeah. the irony that Donuts owns Dot Pizza, they also own like a crap load of other okay. top level domains, like twenty, almost like twenty five percent of the entire top level domain industry. Damn. Okay. Yeah. So mega David. <laughs> what? It's mega David. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. 
So I, I start Googling them and there's some articles from like 2012, 2014 being like, should we be concerned that donuts is owning so much of the domain industry? And I'm like, I agree. Like, how is it that one company can be a multi-billion dollar corporation and own almost a quarter of the entire domain industry? Like that, that seems really confusing and weird. And how does that, how does any of that actually work? Because isn't the internet like a thing that we are all supposed to own together? And why do you just get to like spin up a top level domain and just own it and then sell it? That's real quick too, just to <clears> confirm <throat> when you're saying 25% of all domain names, that's including domain names that are like owned and working or 25% of all like claim domains that aren't actually directed it's to something. just top level domains. So that's uh, like the amount of claimed but not actual working domain names is way past 25%. So they, they head up dot pizza, right? And mm -hmm. then anyone, there's millions of permutations of oh. something that could be a dot pizza, but they own dot pizza. Dot pizza, okay. Right? Uh -huh. Yeah, they just own just the top the level domain part. and okay. then someone can register pizza.pizza. Right? This might be a <clears throat> dumb question, but I didn't realize that one company can just own an entire top level domain. Right. So, yeah, that, so do the, because there's the .us, .ca, are those owned? So by, those are called country codes uh -huh. and those are not really owned by anyone. Those are operated okay. by someone else who so we'll get to later in the podcast. I see. Yeah. And then if you want to buy something .pizza, you have to pay for that address through the people that own .pizza, which is the So donut. not particularly, okay. but we will get there. Okay. I promise you. Oh God, okay. All right. So I start wondering, how do we get to this point? How do we end up at this place where like this Donuts Inc. owns like a quarter of the top level domains that are available on the internet? Like that seems insane because you're just a private, private company worth billions of dollars and you get to just spin up these top level domains. So I realized I don't really understand how like any of this stuff works. So I decided to do a little research and what we found was um, a lot. So we're about to get into it. Oh boy. Six months, <laughs> six months. Cue the waveform intro, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, so if we're going to understand how we got to this point where one private company owns like a quarter of all top level domains on the internet, we kind of have to understand how we got to the domain name system in the first place, mm -hmm. right? Um, but to just give you a brief intro of what's going on, the internet, as we know it today, actually used to be a research project uh, run by the US government, and it was called ARPANET. And originally, the entire purpose of it was to allow different computers that were far away from each other to do something called time sharing. So you have a supercomputer at a university and another university wants to use that supercomputer. You can basically like log into that computer and use its computing power, right? Amazing. Yeah, so the original purpose of this like internet thing, which was the ARPANET at the time, was to just like share resources and also share information with each other. It's very wholesome. Yeah. It's kind of like remote desktoping across. Yeah, okay. it's absolutely remote desktoping. And it's funny that remote desktoping now seems like an additional feature you can yeah, do with a computer yeah. because it was originally the whole point of the <laughs> computer of uh, having an internet, right? Um, this only works because computers have IP addresses. You guys probably know what IP addresses are. Mm -hmm. It's like a unique identifier that your computer has that it's like a home address, right? If you want to mail a piece of mail somewhere, you have to know where to send it. If you're sending it over a network, you know you have to know what computer to send that to over the network. Um, so at the very beginning of the ARPANET, there were only a few computers on the ARPANET. You had government uh, organizations, university computers that were being sponsored by ARPA, military. It was all basically like only government stuff because this was just a government research project. Side note, 
spurred by the launch of Sputnik in 1957, just like the whole NASA episode that we did. Everything comes back to 1957 that we will get into that in a future okay. podcast. At the time, uh, the IP addresses that were being given out to all these computers were managed by one guy at the University of Southern California uh, called John. His name was John Postel. And so effectively, if you wanted to be on the ARPANET on the Internet, you basically call up one dude who ran a spreadsheet, like an Excel spreadsheet, basically. Right. <laughs> And he said, hey, uh, John, I want to be on the ARPANET. Uh, here's my computer. Can you issue me like an IP address? And he's like, oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. So he literally like adds you to the spreadsheet. Uh-huh. And then every night he distributes the spreadsheet onto the internet or the ARPANET. And everyone's computer downloads the spreadsheet. So that if you want to do time sharing with another computer. Yeah. You like just, a directory. Yeah, it's a directory. Mm-hmm. It's a phone book. You put in their IP address, and it allows you to go to their computer. But you have to know, like, oh, David is at 186.8.4.2, right? right? Yeah. Which, just the, the sheer ridiculousness of, like, one single spreadsheet. Yeah. I'm trying not to make any crypto references. <laughs> well, please do. You can, <laughs> because, because the thing about the internet is that it, it's a distributed network. Yep. There's, there's centralized, decentralized, and distributed. Uh-huh. And the internet is distributed. Yeah. Meaning it's on a bunch of different servers in a bunch of different places that are all yeah, updating with each other. Meaning every node on the internet connects to base almost every other node. Mm. So in, even if one node like gets destroyed, um, in the early days they were worrying about potential nuclear attacks knocking out a major node, you can still send information across the network, right? Got it. So, so yeah. Um, so this guy was like maintaining the spreadsheet, which was completely ridiculous. But it didn't take long after the development of the ARPANET and everyone realizing like how useful this was for other governments and universities and agencies to like want to be on the internet too, right? So NASA, Department of Energy, more universities, everyone that was technically like legally allowed to be on the internet were just like, wait, John, John, put us on the internet. Get me in there. Yeah. Yeah. So this spreadsheet starts getting real big, Uh real big. And it's like, it's one guy. Managing this spreadsheet. Seems like a terrible idea. Yeah. Yeah. So the more people that started to get on it, the more they realized like, okay, this whole IP address thing is like not working. Obviously, you still need IP addresses, but humans don't really think in terms of numbers. They think in terms of words. So they spun up these top level domains, these like websites. And the seven original ones were .org, .gov, .mil, .edu, int.net and .com. And these were basically just the different organizations that were allowed on the internet, oh. right? Fast forward to the 1980s and the internet is going growing very very fast. Um, it would eventually get to the point where the public would have access to it. Um, but the guys in charge of this project kind of saw, saw the writing on the wall and they knew the internet was going to be a thing. It spans the globe like a super highway. It is called internet. Imagine, if you will, sitting down to your morning coffee, turning on your home computer to read the day's newspaper. Well, it's not as far-fetched as it may seem. You need a computer and a phone, and suddenly you're part of a new mesh of people, programs, archives, ideas. This is going to be a thing that everyone was going to use, and they needed a solution to scale it, right? Because, again, a spreadsheet, even if you're using domains, yeah. a spreadsheet's not scalable. Was it still a spreadsheet Yeah. by then? It was literally called host.txt. Hosts.txt. Oh, man. Dang. 
Yeah. It was a dot text document. <laughs> he was one one guy and they gave him this nickname of the IANA, the Internet Assigned Numbers Authority, which started out as like a funny nickname for him and very clearly became like a lot. <laughs> yeah. You know, just a big thing. Um, so they were like, all right, this isn't working. We need to set up like a scalable way to do this. They thought that just having domains would be the way to scale it, but a host.txt file is not scalable. So they put out this call for ideas because they were like, the, the public is eventually going to get access to this thing. We need to have a scalable, like secure way for everyone to do this. So this guy named Paul Macapetris came forward with a pretty simple and elegant solution called the DNS system. Or it's not DNS system, that's redundant. The DNS, which stands for Domain Name System. Yeah. So do you guys know what DNS is? Man. Okay. I did I did have a class in college that explained all of the uh, the basics of like DNS, IP addresses and all the things that go behind making a website. I've forgotten 80% of it. <laughs> so you might have to refresh my memory on the differences, what a DNS is, how it works. It sounds like a redirect, but I'll let you explain. That's it. what I was going to say, just the way to redirect top level domain or whatever you type into your bar into the IP address that goes yeah. to wherever that website like, is hosted at. That goes from a bunch of numbers to going, oh, that's google.com. Right. You get Isn't Google like 8.8.8.8 or something like that? Probably something like that, uh -huh. yeah. All right, well, we're going to get to that uh, okay. after the break. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge? That takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Support for Waveform comes from Coda. So it can be tough to stay organized when your team is spread across time zones. With Coda, you can help keep your whole team on the same page with an all-in-one collaborative workspace that brings together the best of documents, spreadsheets, and apps into one platform. That means less time ping-ponging between different tabs and tools and more time on your projects. So with Coda's extensive planning capabilities, you can stay aligned when managing planning cycles and while measuring objectives and key results. Plus, you can access hundreds of templates and get inspired by others in Coda's gallery. So over 50,000 teams across the world collaborate with Coda, from the New York Times to Square, uh, from Toast to TED and Uber. So if you want a platform that enables and empowers your team to collaborate effectively and focus on shared goals, you can get started with Coda today for free. You can head over to coda.io slash wave. So that's coda, C-O-D-A dot I-O 
slash wave to get started for free. Coda.io forward slash wave. All right, we're back. So I sort of like to think of the DNS as like a, a layered network of phone books, sort of. Effectively, you're putting in the URL that you want to go to in your address bar, mm -hmm. and then your computer needs to find what's the IP address of that. Because a website is not like words. A website is just a server, mm -hmm. right? So you're accessing that computer just like the time sharing on the ARPANET. You're, you're actually just accessing that computer, and it's like giving you the website, you know? So generally, um, on your browser, your browser caches what the IP address of websites are when you've already accessed them within the last few days, right? So it'll stay on your computer for a little bit, and that way it's just like way easier to instantly go to that website so you don't have to like ask a bunch of questions. If your browser doesn't have that cached because it clears its cache every few days automatically, it will ask your OS. And your OS does the same thing, where your OS also caches IP addresses, but your OS also wipes your cache every few days because IP addresses can change. That's a whole nother thing. So then if your uh, OS doesn't have the IP address, it goes to your ISP. <clears throat> and your ISP, your internet service provider, has a this special type of server which is called a recursive server or a resolver. And the reason that this is sort of like a phone, uh, like a layered stack of phone books mm -hmm. is because that resolver server will jump to a bunch of other servers and say, hey, do you know where I can find this IP address? And it says, uh, I don't know the exact place, but I know the name servers are over here. And the name servers uh, can tell you where to find .com or .org or .net. And it's sort of just going back and forth where you have this ISP right here and it goes bing, bong, bing, bong, bing, bong. <laughs> Got it. Yeah. Was that weird? <laughs> <laughs> bing, bong is... Maybe yeah, describe maybe. Bing Bong for the audio <laughs> listeners. Uh, bing Bong. When I'm saying Bing Bong, I'm I'm I don't know. It's like a going to from just bouncing to forth from to from to yeah back forth it's back forth yeah jumping back and forth yeah. basically. New York is back, baby. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. So anyway, your ISP eventually will get told where that IP address is, and then it caches that for a number of days, so that not only when you ask for a website, but when other computers that are also using your internet service provider ask, it can immediately tell them, right? Mm -hmm. The entire purpose of this is to sort of make it as fast as possible to uh, access the websites that you're looking for and not have to go through this whole DNS system. So it's all based on caching and all of this stuff. Um, and remember this ISP resolver thing later because it's gonna come up again, it's kind of important. So anyway, this is a pretty elegant system. The DNS system is a hit, and it's working pretty well, and it's most importantly, it's scaling. Tons of people are getting on the internet. The public's getting on the internet. Um, it's just, it's scaling really fast. Yeah, but suddenly the, pub, the public could start registering their own web pages because once they have originally got access to the internet, they could start making blogs and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And luckily, we have this robust DNS system so that people can actually get to the websites that they want, but that also doesn't mean that the system is perfect. Um, because the scale of the internet was growing the way it was, it became a lot of work for John Postel to keep registering domains, right? Like he had moved on from the spreadsheet, but he was still by himself, the IANA, the Internet Assigned Numbers Authority, one guy at USC registering everyone who wanted to be on the internet. Dang. And this was like an exponential growth of people who were getting on the internet, right? It's like the amount of people that used 
chat GPT over the last three days has, it's been like a million people in three days. Imagine you're one guy and a million people come mm -hmm. to you and ask for, ask for something like that's just too much. Um, so, uh, suddenly the national science foundation was paying like his salary and it became too much work for him. So they started basically contracting out a third party to register domains for people. And that was a company called Network Solutions. So as soon as the public had access, this started to become a problem because when web pages started popping up and stuff, the lawyers at USC started being like, people are going to have disputes over who gets what domain. Because at the, at the current time, you could just reach out to John and you could just say, hey, I want pizza.pizza. And he would just be like, all right, you got pizza.pizza. And you know, mm -hmm. it didn't really matter. But when they started contracting the workout to Network Solutions, they had to pay Network Solutions. And the government started being like, we're paying real money to a real company to register domains for people. And that is taking our government money. Like, why are we doing that? That makes no sense. So Network Solutions is like, well, we could charge people for domains. And then we could like put that money back into the National Science Foundation. And there's a lot of drama over this because the government was handling, you know, it was, it was a research project, right? It mm -hmm. was like, they were like, is this still a research project or is this becoming like a thing? Like, like this for is- profit scaling business. Yeah, yeah, like actual businesses, actual commercial work is getting put on this and this is becoming a problem. So what happens though, if you said you can just call them up and ask for a domain, what if you are like, want to be nintendo.com or, but you're not actually Nintendo, can you just, how is he confirming that? Uh, no. Oh. No confirming. We're just, fu we're full set, full, full, full send, send it in, yeah. dude. We're just like, you're, you are now nintendo.com. That seems like a big problem. Yeah. yeah. So the lawyers are like, this is a big problem. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, look, we got, we got like commercial information flowing over government sponsored and paid for servers that are being hosted at private universities. <laughs> this is three separate entities that are never supposed to touch. This is a big problem. So the lawyers are like, we, we, we got to get this like re internet registration thing out of the university as like fast as possible. Right. So this takes a, a while. Um, the government kind of puts forward these different papers for, what they want the this like potential internet or uh, registration organization to be, they have you know they're drafting this paper. They're like it should be this and it should do this and it should have these laws, and eventually they come up with a paper that basically states exactly what they want this third party organization to be. Originally, they were like it should be in Geneva because there's no problems in Switzerland, right? They're so unbiased and all this stuff. By now, this was being handled by the U.S. Department of Commerce. And of course, the US Department of Commerce, anytime they see an opportunity for capital C capitalism, they're gonna take they're gonna take the chance here. So they basically like within this paper develops this way for internet registration to work that would spur competition. It would be a whole new industry, right? It wasn't just gonna be IANA that was people were gonna like pay IANA and that was gonna work. It was gonna be distributed into different roles. So this organization comes forward calling themselves ICANN, the Internet Corporation for Assigned Names and Numbers, and they win the contract to basically be the organization that will be this oversight board. They create the rules on how internet registration works, they maintain everything, and then below them, because they're just a governing body, they're like a standards committee in a way, mm -hmm. there are going to be two different types of registration things. There are registrars, which are companies that you are almost definitely familiar with. You've got things like GoDaddy, 
Google domains, you know, that name.com, mm-hmm. Namecheap. GoDaddy is the largest registrar uh, in the world by now, or yep. right now, by the way. And basically, registrars are just, they're the ones that interface with you, where you say, like, hey, I want to register pizza.pizza. You go to GoDaddy, and they sort of, like, deal with it, but they don't actually, like, maintain the .pizza domains. They just handle the the okay. money transfer stuff, you know, and they re- they they're handle like the registering broker, yeah. it for you. They're like a broker. Yeah. They're basically like a broker. Um, and registrars have to pay ICANN a little small fee when they register domains, which helps keep ICANN afloat. Because okay. remember, ICANN is a nonprofit organization. Mm-hmm. Um, and they also have to pay the registries a little bit. And the registries are probably the guys you have not heard of, which is Donuts Inc. Uh, you've, there's Pool.com. There's all of these registries. And effectively, what those registries do is they sort of like they maintain the top level domains. Right. Okay. So p- dot pizza, yeah. Dot fun. Dot joy. Dot monster. Are the other names all just random nouns as well? Donut and pool. It's just, <laughs> just flexing. So ping pong. <laughs> yeah. For for posterity, donuts is now identity digital. Donuts Li- is cool. Oh, that's literally, really... while we were reporting the story, they changed their name. Hmm. That is the most corporate. Oh yeah. <laughs> Overlord name possible. Apparently, donuts used to be a play on DNS because it's donuts. Oh. But there's like also <laughs> multiple stories that have been reported for where this has come from. So, okay. wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, to me, it seems kind of weird that you can just like, you know, you can just spin up dot pizza and be like, I'm going to own dot pizza. I'm going to deal with this and I'm going to make billions of dollars out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. And it is, it is kind of weird. I mean, it's, you can just be a registry, right? But to be a registry, you are sort of helping maintain the internet because you are you are maintaining the dot pizza servers. You have to like have a lot of infrastructure ready to let dot pizza work. So if you decide to own dot pizza, you've got to maintain dot pizza. You've got to like uh, make those servers work so that dot pizza can even be a thing. Okay, you so know? there is a little give and a little take. There's a lot of give and a, and yeah, there's a lot of take. There's okay. yeah. little give, a lot of take. Yeah, yeah. Comparatively. Well, I mean, if, you, if there's some gigantic company that decides to buy a .pizza domain and suddenly they're running huge businesses and things on a .pizza server and you're maintaining all of that is, for them. In general, isn't that server just the one that's redirecting to f- no. being the redirection? or No. But it, it is sort of like the symbiotic relationship because ICANN is a nonprofit organization that's just like a standards committee. And mm-hmm. uh, the... The registries, when they want to create a new top-level domain, say Donuts is just like, we think there should be a dot .pizza. They go to ICANN and say that, and then ICANN says, hmm, interesting. Okay, I kind of like that idea. Hey, all the other registries out there, are you interested in being the dot .pizza thing? And then they can bid on that. So they can okay. bid on who gets to be the dot .pizza like, overlord, right? <laughs> you have to put a lot of money into it, and then you have to have like tons of maintenance and stuff. Okay. But it's a it's very much this like kind of um, symbiotic relationship between the people that create the standards for the internet and the people that create the infrastructure for the internet. Yeah. So while it does seem like a little bit weird and sketchy, you can just spin something up. There's it's still good for everybody because that competition that allows donuts to go and say, "Hey, we think there should be a dot pizza." It allows people like me to spin up dot pizza domains, right? Mm-hmm. Or like you know, bangersonly.net, you know, <laughs> you know, yeah. Le- League of Lego. Dot com. I shouldn't have disclosed that. <laughs> um, I might get sued again. I'll so, beep it out. Yeah, you can beep it out. Incoming. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
so yeah, it, it's not it's not like necessarily as nefarious as it seems. Um, but while doing a lot of research on the things that ICANN actually does and maintains and the rules that they put into place, I started hearing these rumblings and reading these rumblings of this secret meeting called the Key Signing Ceremony that ICANN conducts. It's the Key Signing Key Ceremony. And I was sort of just doing like basic research into it. And it, it, everything that I was reading was basically like, there are seven different people from seven different countries who every three months all come together at a secret facility and perform a ritual that takes three to four hours. And everything on the internet was like, these are the people that can take down the internet. And I was like, what? Like, this is insane. <laughs> this sounds like a James Bond. It's like, like immediately picturing like a cauldron. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, se- okay, seven people <clears throat> yeah. from seven different places all have to physically come to the same location yeah. to perform a ritual. And when you say ritual, you mean like a, like a, it's a spreadsheet type ritual? Or well, like- I didn't really know. I just, I kept, everything just said like it's a ceremony and it takes three to four hours. And I was like, is there, is there like uh, okay. blood involved? And here? they all have keys, you said? Yeah. They'll have, just like they imagining all have, this giant wall with these big keys that they put in and all have to turn at the right, same Right, they have time. like these hyper-protected keys that they have to bring with them to in this physical location. Oh, I was going to make that up. I I was no, no. That. They all bring in one different animal and they all oh, put no, the animal in a box. Okay, so there's, so there's, okay, keys. Yeah, they bring in these physical keys that they bring with them from their country. Imagine forgetting your key. <laughs> I made my I flight. didn't even think about that. I my key. Sorry, guys. Yeah. Can't do the ceremony. Yeah. So I was like, this sounds insane. Yeah. And apparently it's been the the topic of like a, a CSI episode and like a couple of random. What has I mean, the topic it's, of a CSI this is episode. great. This is great. Like headline fodder. For, like, oh, absolutely. The, the, yeah. the most clickbaity things like these right. people could take down 80% of the internet as you know it tomorrow. Bel- believe it or not, that's like what all the headlines say. Yeah. And I was just like, this seems insane. And I want to verify what's actually going on here. So uh, we'll find out what's going on after the break. Support for this episode of Waveform comes from Gigabyte. There's a lot of talk out there about how AI is revolutionizing our world. Computers are writing newsletters, robotic bees are pollinating flowers, and a whole new wave of driverless taxis are popping up in cities all over the world. But how can AI power our passions and what we do for fun? That's where Gigabyte's AI gaming laptops come in. So their range of powerful and portable new laptops deliver cutting edge performance for anyone looking to explore the brave new world of AI powered gaming. So every 2024 Aorus machine comes equipped with the Gigabyte AI Nexus, which is like a central hub located with all the AI-powered features you could hope for. So that includes super useful tools like AI Power Gear, which automatically throttles and extends your computer's battery life depending on your power source and usage. You'll also get access to AI Boost, which optimizes performance based on what you're doing in that moment, whether you're ripping through an FPS or running your own large language model. AI Boost automatically adjusts the GPU and processors to maximize responsiveness and deliver unparalleled efficiency. Lastly, AI Generator includes various generative AI apps for quick startup, and all 2024 Gigabyte models seamlessly integrate with tools like OpenAI and Microsoft's Copilot AI chatbot. But the Aorus 16X and the Gigabyte G6X take it to the next level with a dedicated Copilot key, allowing users to swiftly tap into productivity and generative AI capabilities. 
I also keep hearing AI is going to change a lot in the gaming world. Andrew, can you think of anything about that? Not just optimization, like you said, but like more personal optimization I could see happening where like maybe you're playing a competitive game like Valorant and you want higher FPS and lower resolution. Like you, you're okay versus like The Witcher where you might want 4K crispy resolution and like a lower frame rate. I think finding that between your computer specs and what you want might help out a lot. Nice. So all of the models that I've been talking about are available right now at oris.com slash laptops slash gigabyte dash AI. So that's A-O-R-U-S dot com slash laptops slash gigabyte dash AI. Gigabyte. Team up. Fight on. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. All right, we're back. Uh, key signing, key signing key ceremony, vampires, People eating each other. Nine mysterious faceless figures emerge from the dark. Seven key holders of the internet. Each holding mysterious keys. <laughs> yeah. This sounded completely absurd. So I started spamming ICAM with emails. Uh, nice. I was like, <laughs> I want... you should. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> I hey... I don't want to get messed involved in this mess. This seems a little Oh, I love, to, I love to throw myself in front of bullet trains. Fair. Okay. I want to I get in the middle of the danger. So I'm like, Can, I want to come to this. Can I come to this? I want to come. Can I come to this? Can you let me come to this? And at first they said no. And then I badgered them for three more months and then they said yes. I mean, if you hear ritual and then get denied access, you want to go more. I, I would yeah, be like, totally. well, now I have to go. And yeah. it's going to happen every three months. It's going to keep Right. Happening. It's every three <laughs> months. And it rotates between an indescript building in Culpeper, Virginia and an area of LA. <laughs> yeah. Apparently, like, right this as. Amazing. Yeah. Right as you leave the LA airport, there's like these indescript black buildings and nobody ever knows what they're for. And this is where this happens. It's because it's near an in and out. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Prove me wrong. That... <laughs> it is though. Sure. Yeah, it's that's true. Near an it is right that's true. That's what LAX is. It's yeah. just a, <laughs> a airstrip surrounded by in and outs. <laughs> yeah. So ironically, the one that they denied us uh, access to was in LA. And even though I was ready to just like fly to LA and do this. Uh, but they rotate, so the one that they finally said I could come to was the one in Virginia. And because we live in the New York, Jersey area, it's not completely out of the question to drive to Virginia, right? So uh, Ellis and Adam and I pack into a car, and we go to see what's really going on at the source of the internet. This explains why you asked me for a hotel room for an undisclosed location. Yeah, <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to. Yeah, not a lot of people go <laughs> overnights in Virginia for yeah. for work. I did for say no yes. Reason, I did so, say yeah. yes. And when I was like, "Where are you going?" And you were like, "I can't. I can't tell it's you." Hard to say to no to that. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I didn't want to spoil the podcast. Yeah. Right. So as you can see, we are. Um, we did not get sacrificed. Yeah, you're back. We're still good. alive. That's really good. Yeah. Uh, and it turns out everything that had this ritual has to do has to do with DNS, which is amazing because maybe it will answer my question of who owns dot pizza, right? Because I just want to get pizza dot pizza. This is the key to the entire story. The key to the internet is the key to dot pizza. pizza the dot seven pizza. keys. Right, the seven keys. The seven keys. Or the key I almost forgot that this was the pizza. motivation for everything is <laughs> yeah. we yeah. need pizza dot pizza oh, to yeah. happen. We still need pizza dot pizza okay. to happen. All right, so 
Back in 2010, <laughs> a security researcher named Dan Kaminsky found a major security exploit in DNS. Uh, and the exploit is called DNS cache poisoning or DNS spoofing. Do you guys remember when you would see like things on TV and they'd be like, don't connect to rogue Wi-Fi networks in your um, at cafe, at internet mm -hmm. cafes and all that or stuff. Or the airport or something. Yeah, like or the that. airport. Yeah. And like, you know, people are still putting this kind of stuff out, but it's kind of, it's not as important anymore. It doesn't seem as crazy. There's not as many public service mm -hmm. announcements saying like, don't connect to mm -hmm. rogue Wi-Fi networks. Effectively, this DNS cache poisoning hack, how this works is that when your ISP's resolver is ping-ponging, ping-pong, ping-ding-dong, whatever, bing-bong, 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 when it's bing-bonging between the name servers and all these different servers, mm -hmm. uh, it is every time it asks a question to one of these servers, it sends out a query number, right? So question number 1,000, and then you answer. This is the answer to question number 1,000. Question oh. number 1,001. Yeah. Bing. Bing. <laughs> this is the answer to question number 1,001. Bong. Bong. Right, exactly. Uh, so what happens in this DNS cache poisoning thing is that this nefarious server over here just sprays out query resolves. It just sprays out answers to these queries. So it's like, hey, I've got the answer to query 1,000 through 1,099, and it's just spraying them out. Mm -hmm. So if it's able to attach to the query question before this other server over here is able to give the answer, then your internet service provider server resolver will just be like, oh, okay. And it takes that answer. Mm. So nefarious server can Bong. just be like. <laughs> 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 mm -hmm. Yeah. So nefarious server can just be like, yeah, here's the, I here's the um, IP address of the website that you're looking for, right? So imagine uh, you look up, you type in facebook.com. Your, uh, your browser doesn't have facebook.com cache, so it asks your OS. Your OS doesn't have it cached because you haven't been there in a while. It goes to your ISP. Your ISP doesn't have it cached because it hasn't been there in a while. Sends out that query, and then the nefarious server says, oh, facebook.com is at this IP address. It routes you to a fake facebook.com login page. Looks exactly like the regular facebook.com login page. You type in your username and, and password, hit enter, and then it forwards you to the real Facebook.com, and you are none the wiser that they just stole your information. Uh, this could be a lot even worse if it was like a bank, right? Bank login page, mm -hmm. yep. you know? They just stole your login info for like all of your money. And this was a really, really big issue because the internet is built on trust. Um, back in the day when it was just a research project, the internet, nobody had to worry about nefarious actors. Like it was literally just like the government, universities, and scientists, and they were just sharing information. It was like literally no one worried about this. It's the good old days. The good old days. Yeah. But as soon as money is like added to any sort of thing, as as soon as there's money to be made, yeah. there's going to be nefarious actors that try to steal your information and your money, right? Um so ICANN was like all right, this is a huge problem because the entirety of DNS is built on this. And because the internet is built on trust, imagine like 50% of the time you have no idea, or actually all of the time, you have no idea whether or not when you go to facebook.com and it has you log in, if you're logging in or if you're literally giving away your information. Mm -hmm. Nobody's going to use the internet if nobody knows if it's secure. Like that's just a core part of it. And I think a lot of people think about, you know, oh, I'm just like, I'm this like little guy, let's random person. Nobody wants to steal my information, but it's not even about that. It's like the biggest websites on the internet are just going to be continuously targeted 
and all of the information of everybody is just going to be stolen. Yeah. So the internet organizations and ICANN are like, well, we want people to keep using the internet and they're not going to use it if they think their info is going to be stolen. So we need to figure out how to patch this, right? DNS works in a very specific, elegant way, and they don't want to change up the way that DNS works completely because this is like, you know, it's, it's the way that things have been going for a long time and it works really well. So what they decide to do is add public key cryptography to the DNS system. Do you guys, do you guys know how public key cryptography works? Nope. Nope. No? So let's talk about basic cryptography really quick. So here's an example. I want to send you a message, right? But I don't want anyone else to be able to like just take that message. So back in the day of like spies and stuff, you know, you could like you could encrypt a message with some algorithm and then meet someone in a park, give them your letter. And if they also have the algorithm, say that you had the algorithm on a USB drive and you give them the USB drive, they could then in, like decrypt it on their end. But with the internet, when you're sending information over the internet, that encryption key is what it's called. It's called an encryption key. You can't send someone else the decryption key because then you have to encrypt the decryption key. Mm. It's a recursive problem, mm -hmm. right? It's this layered problem. So what they came up with was this thing called public key cryptography. And basically how this works is that every website has both a public key and a private key. You can think of the keys as just encryption algorithms, right? Every website's private key is something that only they know. Like nobody else is supposed to be able to get access to the private key, but they distribute their public key all over the internet. So when you request facebook.com, you have the public key for facebook.com, right? But only when you, you say, here's the public key for facebook.com, only when the private key interacts with the public key of facebook.com does it actually decrypt the data and give you the data, right? And that way, if a nefarious actor was able to inject the fake IP address of fakefacebook.com, when your public key interacted with fakefacebook.com, it would not be able to decrypt the information because it doesn't have the public key there. Does that make sense? Yeah, so it wouldn't match. Yeah. So when you create a public key and a private key for a website, specifically when you create a private key for a website, that's what's considered a website being signed. And you've probably seen this in your browser before. You, you have this little lock on a site, mm -hmm. and it says, this website is signed. This website is secure. You've also seen HTTPS versus HTTP. That means that website is signed, secure. So is that what the S stands for? Yeah. Hypertext Transfer Protocol Signed. It's I think it's secure. Secure. It's in, yeah, usually there's like a, a lock or something. Yeah, it's a little secure. lock. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So HTTPS means that they have a private key. So cool. it means you can be sure that when you access this website, it's the real website. You go to mkbht.com. We got a little right. lock. Right, right. We used to not have it, and we used to get yeah. We added the lock. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice lock years there. ago, yeah. yeah. It's hypertext transfer protocol secure. Secure. There it is. Yeah, beautiful. Cool. So now ICANN for a number of years has been trying really hard to get more, basically since 2010, to get as many people to move over to this public key cryptography methodology as possible. Mm -hmm. A lot of the original uh, top level domains, um, they're still trying to get to move over. Even the the country code domains, you know, yeah. like TV for Tuvalu, some of those are not signed. Wait, and what? TV's what? Oh. I didn't explain this earlier. TV so. is not. Sorry. Okay. Sorry. I, so Twitch is based in Tuvalu. 
Twitter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So okay, <laughs> no, this is this is actually amazing. I know this is a side tangent, side note. I thought TV, <laughs> television. So I'm lost. No, okay. So uh, when they created all of the non um, non generic top level domains, dot com, dot org, dot gov, dot uh, dot net, mm-hmm. that that kind of stuff, they also created country codes for all of the countries. And actually, they're not specifically just countries; they're areas of economic interest. So, IO. Guess what IO stands for? Okay. Dot I, it's dot not IO. input output. No. Okay. Guess what that stands for? And everyone uses it as a tech website because so it's IO, like, IO input yeah. output. Yeah, yeah. It's a region. Does it's it, an area of economic interest. <laughs> Indonesia. No. Iowa. <laughs> I have no Country idea. cuts. It is the Indian Ocean. Ah. Oh. Wait, what? Okay, the ocean. So if there's enough... All right. Yeah, ICANN is not the UN, right? They, they don't want to be the ones that are designating what's a country and what's not because that gets uh, really complicated right, really right, fast. Right. There's wars being fought about exactly. that. Exactly. Okay. So for, you just define regions instead. Regions of economic interest. Sure. Areas of economic interest. Okay. So basically ICANN just distributes all of these country code domains and they allow the countries to maintain them. So Tuvalu is an independent nation, okay. but ICANN has given them the .tv because it's Tuvalu. That's a big responsibility for that small re- region. Like, well, that. it's a huge money maker for a lot of these small regions. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's think good. about this. Jot, dot .gg. That's like all gaming. Yeah. All yeah. gaming websites Discord. use jot Discord's .gg. Dot, all their hyperlinks are .gg. Like we have mkbhd.gg. I think is our Discord link. Something yeah. along there. Yeah. yeah. GG is Guernsey. Right. It's like these are actually areas of economic interest. So a lot of countries and areas of economic interest make a lot of money off of being able to just sell these top level domains. And the ones that have handy ones like .tv or .io or .gg. Yeah. They make a lot of money at this, which is great for them, especially small island countries. Shout out to Tuvalu. Shout out to Tuvalu. All our Tuvalu fans out there. Going to go visit the the home of Twitch someday. Yeah. (laughs) Our next road trip, we're going to ask to go to Tuvalu. (laughs) (laughs) A long road trip. (laughs) Okay, so anyway, uh, let's get back to what happens at the at these ICANN key signing key ceremonies. Yeah, let's talk about that. Right? What happened? Yeah, so see? we drive all the way to Virginia. Uh-huh. We stay in a little hotel. So we get up in the morning at our hotel. We, you know, have some breakfast and we start driving into the countryside uh-huh. and towards this secure location, right? Okay. We're driving up this road. And we start seeing little cameras just peeking out on this dirt road. And we're filming and we're like, we should probably stop filming. (laughs) So we like immediately stop filming. And we're just going up this dirt road and there's just more cameras as we're going up the road. And we end up at this giant like facility with this like big gates and cameras pointing in different directions. And we drive up to the gate and they're like, what are you here for? Who goes there? Yeah, basically. Wow. We're just like, uh, we're guests for the ICANN key signing key ceremony. And they're like, hmm. And they, you know, go talk to people and they come back and then they unlock the gate and we go in. Wow. Yeah. And it was like, <laughs> so you're not allowed to film anywhere leading up to the building or anywhere in the building except for in the secure room in which the key signing key ceremony takes place. Right? It's a good rule. Yeah, which is a good rule because making something like digitally unhackable is basically impossible because people will always find a way to hack it. But making something, you know, physically unbreakable is pretty, pretty doable. Doable. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So this is why they do this. So we go in, 
we go through multiple layers of security. We have to show them these QR codes. Um, they have like, not for us, but for people who have been, done this a lot, they have iris scanners. They have oh thumbprint God. scanners. This is everything I was dreaming of. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this is like secure, secure. Because, again, this used to be under the U.S. government. This used to be under the U.S. Department of Commerce. Mm -hmm. And it was only at the very end of Obama's administration that he spun it off. He canceled the contract with the Department of Commerce, spun it off to be its own independent organization. Mm -hmm. So they still maintain most of the government security protocols that they had at the time. Huh. So we follow them through these rooms, and we have lunch. We have very nice sandwiches. And then uh, we go into this secu super secure room. And even just to get into the room, the, we were with all these key holders, right? Mm -hmm. Now, one thing to note that the internet got wrong is that you don't need all seven of the key holders of the internet to be there at every single meeting. Mm -hmm. You only need like a few. They invite most of them because, you know, they're <laughs> all from different countries and by the way, none of them are like most of them are not employed by ICANN. They're just security researchers from all around the world. Yeah. So they do this like willingly and they have to like take time off and fly to America to like perform this ceremony. So we walk in after we go through all these security protocols. People are using iris scanners, thumbprints, and even to just to get into the room, you have to have two separate people scan these key cards to allow them to enter the room. You have to sign in every time you enter the room like the, the amount of like tracing to know when anyone has done any action is like insane, right? Mm -hmm. It's totally insane. Um, so we go into this room and the room is kind of wild because there's a seating room where everyone sits and then there's like a front desk area for people, for the person that is administering the meeting to like call the meeting to order and do everything. But there's also just a giant cage next to you. And within that cage is like two safes and Effectively, what's happening during this key signing key ceremony is that ICANN is signing the root zone. And the root zone are the servers that your ISP's resolver or recursive server, it's the first thing that your ISP's re resolver asks for an IP address. So if the root zone is signed, that basically means that that first jump that you went to in the DNS system to like ask for where this IP address is, is also secure. So just like a website becomes secure, mm -hmm. that whole zone of saying like I'm telling you where to go, you can tell you can you know that the information that it's telling you where to go is the real information. Right? Okay. So if the, if I can is able to do that, your ISP will pretty much never get false information. Hmm. Because even if your ISP is sending out query numbers and this nefarious server is sending out bongs, um Wow, that doesn't. Sorry, we'll do that again. I always say things, and then they become inappropriate. And I don't. I like never. I never like think about them. Anyway, even if your ISP is sending out query numbers and a nefarious server is sending out responses to those query numbers, you it uses the same cryptography to know this response is legit, mm -hmm. right? So. Now, when you spin up a new top-level domain, ICANN requires that that top-level domain is signed and that everything that comes from that top-level domain is signed. But a lot of the re originals have not been signed yet, and they're trying to get more people to sign them. But this ritual is basically made to, every three months, re-sign the root zone. 
So anyway, yeah, all these people are from different countries and to perform any action requires at least two to three people. So to get into the cage, two people have to scan into the cage. And then other people have different jobs where like only one person knows the code to one safe. Only one person knows the code to the other safe. They open the saves. They build a computer on the desk of the guy that's administering the, the whole ceremony. They literally have a laptop that is just a shell they have to put in the battery. They have to put in like all of these different parts of the computer. They boot the OS off of a off of a DVD. <laughs> like everything, they have a power cable that like only goes into a certain area. Like everything about this computer is air gapped, which means it's like not connected yeah. to like the internet. It has it. They debuild it and rebuild it every time they do this. That's ceremony. awesome. It's wow. crazy. That's really cool. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. And then what they do after they go through all this cage stuff and all these all this stuff and they build a computer is they have this thing called an HSM or a hardware security module. Basically what this HSM is is it's a key generator that also needs people with key cards to put their key cards into just to turn on. And then that key generator algorithmically signs all of the root zones. It creates new cryptographic keys for all of the root zones that last, you know, for the next 3 months. Huh. Yeah. So it, it's this insane process, right? And the crazy thing about this is like, there's maybe 15 people in the room. Every single step that goes through the ceremony, every person in the room has to sign off that that happened exactly as it was supposed to. Because they distribute the, uh, the script for the ceremony way before the ceremony even happens. You can see it on the internet before you even do it. Every single little task is like specifically task number one, task number two, task number three. Mm-hmm. And it goes just just like it's like three to four hours of ceremony, right? So every person in the room is like, yep, I agree that that worked the way it was supposed to. Yep, I agree that worked the way it was supposed to. And there's just like no way for any one, two, three, four nefarious actors to like mess up yeah. the key signing ceremony, right? It's like every single perceptible way that they could get people to one person could say, I don't think you did that right. And that actually happened at our ceremony where like one thing happened incorrectly and a couple of people were like, wait, 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 do that. And like, oh, and they fix it. And it's wild. Huh. And as secure as the ceremony like is, you know, being able or having to like go to this, um, this, this undisclosed location or secure facility and then not being able to film leading up to all this stuff. Oh yeah, you can see the document here. Ellis brought it in. This is the key signing key ceremony script. Look at the amount of pages in this. 34-page double-sided document. Normally, this takes about four hours. Our ceremony took three, and they were like, I think that's a a record. They're so excited. The audit cameras are recording, and the online video streaming is enabled. Confirm that all the ceremony attendees have signed in using the visitor log in Tier 3. So a lot of it is really technical like that, but then if you go, I believe it's uh, Act 9, Step 6. Should be towards the back. Uh, they get much more lighthearted towards the end. Ceremony participants take a group photo. That's it. <laughs> six nine. There's six nine. Nice, nice. They got the memes too. Very Let's nice. Go. There's not. To, I hope you might have said this while I was out of the room, but the you know the whole thing is like part of a public record. Like you can go on YouTube and watch key signing key ceremony number forty seven, right. and we're in it. Uh, welcome as well, David Immel here. Alice Roman. Here. And Adam Molina. Here. Great. And so in the beginning, 
there's a, a step where everyone like introduces themselves and uh when they're like all right the youtube guys let's uh <laughs> let's have them stand up and introduce themselves and on the public record as we stand up one of the administrators goes smash that like button oh. <laughs> <laughs> smash that like button <laughs> oh, yeah so so yeah the the incredible thing about this actually is that with how insanely secure all of these steps are, right? It's actually security through transparency because they actually live stream this entire process on YouTube while they're doing it with the comments on. Wow. They have seven different camera angles, one that's pointing directly down at the key signing, like the hardware security module, one that's pointing at the audience, one that's in the safe, one that's this direction in the safe, one that's doing this. Like, they show you as many angles as physically possible. They're using like a black magic switcher to just like, you know, it's crazy because they're so yeah. public about everything, but because there are so many places to stop these potential points of failure, just because you need a number of people to sign off on things, it's actually one of the most secure possible things there is. Mm. They're like putting it all out there. They're like, this is how it works. This is exactly the scripts. This is what people need to be there to do the thing. Um, but you can't break. You can't break in. Yeah. Like it's literally impossible to break in. Verified from every angle. Yeah. Wow. Um, so it was a pretty. It was a pretty crazy experience. And what's crazy is that they're supposed to rotate the key holders out. You know, it's like every few months the key holders are supposed to rotate out or something. Like yeah. every few ceremonies. Um, but they never really ended up doing it. And then they were going to retire. A couple of people were going to retire in 2020, but then they didn't because of COVID. And so the ceremony we were at was the first ceremony where anyone ever retired. And so two people retired at that ceremony. And it was like really emotional. And like, I, I don't know, Ellis and Adam and I, we were like, it, it felt like like a summer camp kind of thing. Because we're in this room with all these people for three and a half hours. Mm -hmm. We have lunch together. We have this debrief afterwards where and everyone's like, all right, do you think that could have gone smoother? What could, could we have changed? Like, what can we change in the script next time? And they retire these people, and it's just like everyone's starting to get so emotional. It's it's really weird. That's awesome. So Is anyway, this how you became the new key holder. Uh, I actually the keys. I asked if I could be a key holder, and they were like, "You go through a rigorous process of deciding who is going to be a key holder." Yeah. So basically, like background check you for yeah everything ever. You can apply, and like we talked, one of the people that retired was um, someone from Sweden, and she was getting replaced by a uh, new person from Sweden. And we asked the new person from Sweden, like, oh, like, you know, what do you do? And she's like, oh, I've been in the cybersecurity industry for 30 years or something like that. It was like, she was like really insane. Mm -hmm. Her credentials were crazy. So like they go through like a rigorous vetting process um, just to be able, just because they want to make sure that anyone that is doing this stuff knows what they're doing. Mm -hmm. um, so you yeah. don't have what it takes. Probably not. <laughs> Probably not. Um, so anyway, yeah, it, it, it ended up being kind of crazy because the DNS system is this thing that we all use every single day. We all assume that it's safe and secure and that when you go to a website, it's the real website and people, won't use, people wouldn't use the internet if this didn't happen. And these people who meet every three months and have sandwiches together in a secure facility they basically keep the internet safe. Like it is not necessarily true that they could take down the internet because they are just like signing the root zone and making sure the internet's safe. But they they are they could kind of take down the internet in the sense that you wouldn't use the internet because every single popular website would be compromised potentially, right? Yeah. 
And it's just, it's crazy that this happens and nobody knows about it. The heroes we need, but not the ones we deserve. Absolutely. Yeah. And they yeah, were absolutely. the nicest people ever. It was, it was crazy. Um, so I guess to wrap this all up, uh, I do get, I guess it does feel slightly sketchy that donuts own so much of the internet, but it's also under the oversight of a nonprofit organization whose goal is to keep the internet safe. And it's a symbiotic relationship between private companies and like oversight boards. And I don't know if there's a better model for this. Um, they've thought about moving these ICANN ceremonies to different countries, obviously, because the internet sort of used to be a US research project, but now it's owned by everybody. It's not even under the Department of Commerce anymore. And the fact that the, the meetings happen in LA and Virginia is a little bit US centric. So they're thinking about moving them. But I feel a lot more, I feel a lot more secure about the fact that there's not some like nefarious overlords that are kind of running all this stuff. You know, there have been registrars who the people that run our registrars have gotten in a lot of legal trouble for like selling domains before I can even said they were like available. Mm -hmm. And there have been random nefarious bad actors, but overall, I think it's something that is just technically good for everyone. Um, and the last thing I got to note is that the irony of this whole story about who owns pizza.pizza .pizza is actually completely kind of wrong in the first place because when I did that who is lookup to find out who owns pizza.pizza, .pizza, I just missed the guy that owns pizza.pizza. .pizza. I just completely missed his name. Uh, Ellis found it <laughs> and Ellis emailed him. And it's uh, the perfect ending to a David Ellis <laughs> story. <laughs> just Six months later, <laughs> this so, never would have happened. Ellis, do you want to do you yeah, want to tell, tell them about the email? Sure. So we found out um, pizza.pizza. .pizza, we found it for sale on a domain auction site. Um, pizza.pizza is uh, listed for. You want to guess how much pizza.pizza .pizza costs? Yeah, I do. You want to guess? Uh, do we get time, a trivia point? One time <laughs> fee? I'm going to guess is $150. Wait, uh, I okay. guess my question is do you pay yearly or do you pay one time fee? There's an option to own it forever and there's an option to lease it per month. We're guessing own it forever? Own it forever, yeah. 1000 Neither of you are even remotely close. <laughs> I don't even know what you guessed. What'd you say? One hundred and fifty dollars, guys. So pizza, think, pizza, pizza, pizza. Dot, think of the power, think of the Nobody value. Pizza, pizza. I don't know. Tell you right now. So if people you want, going to pizza, pizza, it took six months to research a project <laughs> where the name was right in front of them. <laughs> uh, it wasn't okay. It wasn't in the Who Is lookup because this okay. the, the dude who yeah. owns it made sure to redact all of his information. Yeah. I did find it on this domain auction site, though. Um, if you wanted to lease pizza.pizza, .pizza, it would cost you uh, about $200,000 a month. Or Oof. you could have it for the cool price <laughs> of $10 million. <laughs> Don't do it. And so Imagine naturally, it so, so Ellis decided to email the owner of Pizza.Pizza. <laughs> Pizza. Yeah, we'll, we'll put these emails up for the video, and I'll read them for the audio listeners. But, you know, I said, hey, what's up? My name's Ellis. I'm a producer on a podcast. We're working about, you know, top level domains. Pizza. I saw you own pizza.pizza. .pizza. Could we just like, could we just talk? Like, I just want to know like who you are, what you're about, why you picked pizza.pizza. .pizza. And uh, I got this email back. Hello. Thank you for your interest until I have nothing to say. Thank you. Um, so wasn't down to talk. 
Guess he I, just wants his cool 10 mil. I just and, uh, wanted to know why he owns pizza.pizza. Is it that it's worth hard a of a question? I mean, if I had something even just up for sale for $10 million, I mean, I'd could, consider that w- worth owning. Do we think he paid way more than that or way less no, than that? No. He definitely paid From, way less than that. I would guess, like, because during the cut.com boom, when it was still pretty easy to get domains, we'll people just were just parking as many domains as they yeah. physically could. Yeah, he's like, hoping he's hoping a big corporation comes along and they have like an ad campaign where they're going to do pizza dot pizza yeah, ads and then they go. Totally. Oh, well, I guess we'll have to spend two hundred thousand dollars a month yeah. buy it from this guy. Yeah. Who else do we know that does things like that? Yeah. It's, mm. only, it's only twelve dollars a month <laughs> a year a year twelve dollars a dollar a month, Adam. If anyone My does portfolio. It's pretty good. I am waiting. You could be the well, I am waiting for Lego Corporation to come to me and allow and just buy it for me. But instead, they decided to sue me. <laughs> so I, you know, I think but that's I, what happens when they see the price tag. Th- that guy's not going to get ten million dollars from Pizza Hut. Okay, There's no way. I'm going to tell. Okay, just maybe we'll, we'll use this in a clip, or maybe this will be the end of the podcast. I just want to tell you guys about my League of Legos website. Okay, so Legos is a copyrighted word. Yes. Well, that's what you think. So, okay. So I had this great idea. Do you guys know what a MOBA is? Mm-hmm. I do. It's Multi- an acronym for... I, I'm not 100% sure on the acronym, but like League of Legends, Dota, all right. those Mass- different ones. Mass- massive online. Multiplayer online battle arena? Correct. Okay. Multiplayer online battle arena, okay. right? So League of Legends, Dota 2, that kind of stuff. Now, in these MOBA games, it's usually like 5v5 or 3v3, and there's a lot of heroes in the game, Right. So usually they have themes. League of Legends is like, you know, they create heroes. The biggest, the hardest part of making a MOBA is building a hero that is like unique and also balanced and also has a background and a story. Like, so most of these MOBAs only release like one hero per year, right? Like Dota only releases one to two heroes per year because character development is a lot. And then they also have to create skills and have them balanced and all this stuff. Mm -hmm. So what is the one company that has access to unlimited IP. Just unlimited. They have partnerships across the freaking globe. McDonald's. Crocs. Disney. Nintendo. Lego. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) Oh, my God. Nike. Did I not cue this up? Uh, Adidas. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, the metaverse. The metaverse? Oh, my goodness. Okay, yeah. So, Lego Corporation, if you go to any store, you got Harry Potter Legos. You've got New York City Legos. You've got... Uh, Avengers Legos and you know every single possible IP has made a Lego set because it's a win-win situation for both companies right Mm -hmm. so not only do you already have the 3D CAD CAD models of these little minifigures you can just make like it, it already makes sense for Lego to have like a MOBA game but the fact that you can use any IP in this MOBA game means that you don't have to like put a ton of effort into the character development and background stuff of this character. It's already a thing. It seems like the most obvious thing ever, right? So, uh, so I purchased leagueoflego.com and leagueoflegos.com because I wanted Lego to reach out to me and pay me and said they reached out to me and sued me, but... Allegedly. Allegedly, that's what you wanted. Well, okay. In Minecraft. (laughs) But I have a really great way to get out of this, okay? Mm -hmm. So... In the event that they actually take me to a physical court, I'm going to start a Irish pub. Uh, whether or not it's in the real world or in the metaverse, who's to say? 
But you know how like Irish pubs and local local pizza joints and this these kind of places like they sponsor like local sports teams. Yeah. You know. So imagine my Irish pub, O'Flego's Irish pub, right? O'Flego's Irish pub sponsors a children's soccer team, and they call it League O'Flego's, right? League O'Flego's. Wait, so, so the league has a bunch of the same team called Flegos? It's a they 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 no, it's O'Flego's. They're sponsoring pub. one team, but now there's a league well, of they only could, one they team. Could, they could sponsor a whole soccer I'm league. I'm just poking some holes All in right. here, so I need to All make right. sure you're ready for the Lego we'll lawyers. Just, we'll just say they... they <laughs> dude, the Lego lawyers the do league. not I mess mean, around. I mean, a league has to have more than one team, so oh the right. okay. problem here is... Yeah, okay, we, I think we, you need to create a sport called a Lego. Unless... unless and then there's a well, we could just say the they sport. sponsor a whole... A whole um, league. league. Okay. Yeah. What if it's oh, like Flegos. a series of like sort of randomized teams <clears throat> where each person plays like a, a role and yeah. maybe like each role has like a specific skill, you know, and we can mm. call them uh, champions. I like that. You know, it makes people feel like they're oh, winning. Yeah, 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 yeah. True, true. And champions, it's a, and it's heroes. It's a video game. <laughs> I don't know about that. Anyway, anyway, so yeah, so um, the moment that I get more than a cease and desist letter, I uh, I plan to spin up the Irish pub in the metaverse. For the lawyers, the Lego lawyers. I think it's a full fruit plan. And that's the end of the podcast. <laughs> almost, almost. Okay, so anyway, so yeah, so now, 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 um, who owns Dot Pizza, dear listeners? We own Dot Pizza. 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 Are you asking me to type we own Dot Pizza? Oh, yes, I am. I just we typed own. David Amell owns Dot Pizza. <laughs> Oh my God. <laughs> we own, we own, we own that pizza. We own, we own that pizza. We own, we own that pizza. We own, we own pizza. How'd you get this picture of me? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's the end of the podcast. I hope you guys learned something about the domain name system and the insane world of ICANN. Um, many of the people at ICANN told us that if we were able to make a podcast that they could show to their kids so that they knew what they did for a living, it would be beneficial. Uh-huh. I'm not sure if this helped, but if it did, <laughs> that'd be great. I did learn a lot, yeah. I learned a ton. I'm probably going to learn a ton again when I re-listen to this because there's a lot of information, but I have one short burning question at the end. Hit me. The pizza you had that night when you developed all of this, was it just like not satisfactory because you had so much on your brain after... After ordering, before um, ordering, that night that I wanted to order a, dot, a pizza. Well, you were originally ordering pizza, correct? Well, I wanted to. I you f- never ordered pizza that <laughs> night. Oh I, my god! I Are you just serious? Spot. Oh my it's god! I, you totally left, left that I out. I should have guessed that. I never should have guessed you never. Pizza. Did you guys just not eat that? Night? We've we been actually, working on this story for six yeah, months, and actually, you never told me that. We actually didn't have dinner that day. I fell too deep into this rabbit hole, and then it was like 11 p.m., and we just kind of... It's only right. Oh, that yeah. was perfect. Yeah. It's only right. Yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah, thanks for listening thanks to the Waveform Podcast. Also, we got to give some special thanks to the people that were helping us out over at ICANN. Patrick showed us around on his day off. Andreas and Aaron helped us and were amazing and guided us through the whole process. Gwen hooked us up with the ICANN stuff in the first place after I pestered them for multiple months. 
Uh, Vint Cerf and Steve Crocker, who like helped build the internet in the first place, they came on and did interviews with us, and that was super useful. Appreciate that. And uh, Kim Davies, who is now the new IANA, the new Internet Assigned Numbers Authority, uh, was not physically at the event with us, but he was on the iPad. It was like a little virtual head. Nice. And he's in the photo on the iPad as a virtual head. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Right. Also, thank you to Vox Media Podcast Network, um, <laughs> Adam Ellis, David, and Vane Sill for creating our intro music. Close enough. Pace. Pace.